after all the long days of Lent, we arrive finally at the cross. We come here today to commemorate the most stunning act of friendship in our whole history. This act of solidarity with us is not only the story of Jesus, but it is also our story, our moment. From this moment onward, we have always said that God is with us. It was one thing when the infant was born, when he grew to be a prophet. The whole history of the people of Abraham is full of prophets. But when he walked around healing the supremely underprivileged, when he ate with people no self-respecting person would have spoken to, much less shared a table with, and when he openly and persistently exposed the corruption in his own religious institution, that was another thing altogether. Sometimes it's hard to understand, but in other ways, this deliberate provocation, this intentional, subversive, and treasonous activity made sense in the context of a people used to being exploited. As we can hear in the reading from Isaiah that Marge gave us, the Old Testament prophets looked at their contemporary socio-political scene and then interpreted it as the work of God in the world. The book of Isaiah, six or eight centuries before the time of Jesus, said that Israel had gone so wrong that God had to use Assyria and Babylon to get them in line again. And the kind of person who would lead Israel back out of Babylon is the suffering servant who was persecuted for the sins of Israel. Isaiah says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. And because he was such a willing servant, God would allow him and Israel eventually to prosper. Seen from this perspective, that God needs an innocent and sacrificial victim, it's easy to imagine how we arrived at the idea that Jesus became man to suffer. He was another scapegoat. We can imagine how demoralizing that thought would have been for the disciples of Jesus. We can imagine how they felt about watching him deliberately provoke his death. We could imagine that they might have thought that he would become yet another victim for the temporary redemption of Israel and the whole cycle would repeat again. But if we do look at Jesus as the burnt offering, as the scapegoat to the angry Romans and the angrier chief priests and the angriest God, we overlook completely the entire message of the gospel. We've heard the Gospel of John for weeks now. We know that John's theme is that Jesus came to the world to reveal the nature of God, that Jesus is the light of God, which will banish the darkness. The darkness that says that the poor and the oppressed have brought their problems on, their, on themselves. The darkness that says that might makes right, that war makes peace. The darkness that says that resources and opportunity and the means of self-determination are only for a few privileged people. That darkness that lurks in all of us when we're not paying attention. It is that darkness, the voice that says you're not. You're not loved. You're not deserving of love. You're not heard. You're not seen. 
That darkness Jesus confronted with his open healing, his open table, and his willingness to go to death in solidarity with the people who were fighting with that darkness and losing. The message of Jesus was not that the Jewish people were getting what they deserved in the Roman occupation of Palestine. The message of Jesus was that there wasn't so much as the fact that the Romans were wrong and that the Jews were right, as it was that the whole order of society was upside down. It wasn't really that the Jews or the rest of the world needed another Moses or another suffering servant as that everyone needed to face the darkness inside, that everyone needed to open their hearts to the light of love, of God's presence, of Jesus' solidarity. Unbelievable then and unbelievable now. Jesus didn't come to strike down the Romans or the chief priests. He came to open the hearts of the world to love and to neighborliness and through love to justice. He chose to do that with his life. And that choice made him free. He didn't need to make deals with the devil. He didn't need to make compromises with people in power. He didn't need to worry about his, who his friends were or what he drove or where he lived or how much he made. And when you're free, you don't need to worry about death. Last week, the people of El Salvador celebrated the 35th anniversary of the death of the murder of Oscar Romero, who was at the time archbishop there. The economy of El Salvador, as you may know, was, for the most of the 20th century, controlled by a few coffee plantation owners whose corrupt practices were protected by the military police and the government and paid for by the superpowers. The rest of the country lived in dire poverty, oppressed in violent, inhuman ways by their own government. Three weeks after Romero was installed as the archbishop, his very good friend, the Jesuit priest Rutio Grande, an outspoken advocate for the poor, was murdered by right-wing guerrillas. Romero himself had been a priest among the poor people of El Salvador, but until this moment he was kind of a conservative. He was thought to be safe by the Vatican. When Father Grande was murdered, Romero had his own particular Gethsemane. He understood not only that he had to speak out against the incredible injustice he saw every day, but also that when he did that, he would meet the same fate as Father Grande. Every Sunday, Oscar Romero stood in his cathedral and denounced the injustice and violence perpetrated by the Salvadorian government, often reading aloud the names of that week's victims. His sermons were broadcast by radio he was called the voice of the voiceless. In 1979, he was, a nomina he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. In February 1980, he wrote to Jimmy Carter asking him to stop U.S. aid. And in March of that same year, while he was saying mass, in the chapel of the cancer hospital where he lived, he was shot to death by a death squad, people funded by the Salvadorian government. At Romero's funeral, where 250,000 mourners attended,
government security forces threw bombs into the crowd. Romero knew that when he denounced the corruption in El Salvador, which kept its people in horrible poverty, he would become a target. He knew it. He gave it freely. I'm sure you all hear the parallels between the story of Romero and the story of Jesus. Here is a man horrified by gross human rights violations who politically and publicly and in every other way you can think of denounces the establishment. Here is a man who stands with the poor, goes to the Pope, goes to the President of the United States and broadcasts his denunciations publicly knowing he will die for it knowing he will be killed, and not believing that he could give it up. Believing that there is nothing else he can do besides giving life to these poor, oppressed, tortured campesinos he loves. Campesinos who by the thousands find radios every Sunday just to hear him tell the world that they are worth it, that he stands with them. In the end, Romero fell to the ground and cracked open like that grain of wheat we heard about two weeks ago. Romero is now a bright light in a very dark place, a lamp unto the path of many, many people who have been vindicated by his advocacy. The crucifixion of Jesus was certainly an attempt to shame and silence his followers, and that attempt failed. We come here today to draw courage and solace from this cross, to empty ourselves of darkness, of despair, and death. Our fears of death, our worries about it, our defenses against it are only the whisperings of the darkness. We come to the cross today to remember that love is worth it. That if the darkness is here, the light is also here, in this place, at this table, in all of us. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G We wish you God's peace and we hope to greet you in person very soon.